Hi, everyone, and welcome to the uh, Perma podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Uh, it's really great to have you all back again with us. And uh, I'm honored to have a, a new guest on the show today, um, somebody I've got to know in the last year or so on social media. Um, and he's a Times columnist and also an author, and he's just released a new book, which we're going to talk about today. So welcome to the show, Daniel Finkelstein. Thank you very much for having me on. Really yeah, fun. It's, a, it's great to have you here. Um, and we're going to, we're going to talk about your, your book. Um, um, it's quite a long title, actually. I'm trying to remember just, uh, just to get it right. It's, uh, what's it called? Hitler, Stalin, Mum and Dad, a family memoir of miraculous survival. Um, and the, the title's quite it's self-explanatory, really, actually. But uh, yes. Well, you know, when it, it takes quite a long time to uh, to to decide upon the title, it was one of those troublesome features of it. And I came up with the title uh, uh, "It's Not a Competition," which reflected my mother's um, view about Hitler and Stalin uh, when she was asked who was worse. And then I had um, uh, Hitler, Stalin, Mum and Dad as the subtitle. And I went to lunch with my agent, told him how I was progressing with the book, told him my idea for a title and he went oh no no the subtitle is definitely the title and um he was right i think because although it's not it's not uh you know it is a bit of a mouthful as you as shown it is um it does summarize the book and that is really important if you look at books when i began to look at book titles i realized an awful lot of the time people have come up with these incredibly clever ways of encapsulating the whole book. And I wanted to do something that was, you know, uh, as good as that. So we do work on it very hard, but I think we should come up with a good title. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, and it's a very, very powerful book. Um, I've been working my way through it this week. It's uh, it's not a book that you can just kind of pick up and just, and just read all the way through. Like there's a lot of, because of the content of it, um, there's a lot of, Sometimes you just need to sit down and you know and uh, and just pause and take it in, um, and um, and just tell us what the book's about. Yeah, would it help if I did that? Yeah. So, um, uh, well, um, my, uh, my my I was brought up in Hendon Central, around the corner from Brent Cross Shopping Centre. In many ways, a completely ordinary, uh, you know, middle class, but. Uh, because my father was a professor, my mother was a teacher. Life. Uh, we lived. My grandmother lived around the corner. Didn't have any other grandparents alive anymore. Um, and uh, we're Jewish, but we're not. Uh, we're, we're and we're we're reform religious, so we're not orthodox. Uh, and I felt uh, perfectly um, at home with uh, the other children my age who also lived in this country. Um, as you know, James, I became a passionate Chelsea fan. Had all the normal teenage. Um, uh, Absolutely. You know, um, hobbies of of um, of uh, Hendon boys, um, and um, as I grew older, I began to appreciate that my background was anything other than normal. Um, my grandfather, Alfred Weiner, my mother's father, had been the leader of Germany's Jews in the nineteen twenties and thirties. He'd taken the position from 1919. In other words, you know, some something like ten perhaps 20 years before anyone else, um, that um, 
that the rise of, of Nazism or, or as it was when he first started, anti-Semitic uh, ideas in Germany was profoundly dangerous, not just to Germany's Jews, but to the country in general. Uh, he'd begun uh, to campaign all over the country. He'd spoken in, um, uh, you know, big meetings that were broken up by Nazis. He'd um, been a uh, he'd, he'd been the editor of a, the community newspaper. He'd sued uh, key Nazi figures in court. Um, and he'd collected together from the late 1920s all sorts of material about the Nazis. So just throwing forward so many years later, when uh, people wanted to, to know uh, what um, the uh, uh, Joseph, who Joseph Mengele, the so-called Doctor of Death of Auschwitz, uh, whether he was or was not in Argentina, my grandfather was the only person who had a photo of Mengele because he'd been collecting all this material. In 1933, he is confronted personally by Hermann Goering, who calls him to a meeting. The meeting's at first um, perfectly innocent, although Goering's trying to tell him that, uh, you know, as the Jewish community, as long as it's not rebellious, uh, he'll be all right. Um, uh, and at the end of this meeting, he says, I know you've got the archive and you have to destroy it. And my grandfather realises quite soon as a result of this and a subsequent meeting that Goering has with the Jewish community that he has to leave Germany. And he goes to Holland. And uh, in and that's where my mother uh, comes in because she was born in 1933 in Berlin, but as a baby in arms, goes to live in Holland. And the thing about um, that the, the, there's, a, there's a Dutch Jewish uh, Dutch Jewish community, but they're now joined by German Jews. Uh, and one of the other German Jews better obviously known than my family was Anne and Margot Frank, Otto Frank and his wife Edith moved to uh, to the same area. They are in the same synagogues, in the same schools. Um, so they have a very similar experience behind them. It, it, in 1939, uh, because the Dutch are worried it was breaking their neutrality, my grandfather has to take the library, the archive to London. Uh, but they think Holland will remain neutral. Uh, so they don't go, he doesn't go with his wife and children. And my mother is trapped in Holland. And the rest of the book is the story, um, you know, of what happens then. And um, my mother is first in, in Vesterbork, from which lots of people go to the gas chambers. She does not because she has a passport, uh, which is obtained from Paraguay. And the book tells how that happens and how she ends up having a... Uh, a an exchange trip. So that is my mother uh, who comes to this country in 1947 with that uh, behind her. And obviously the book tells you lots I haven't told you, um, a lot of twists and turns in that story, a lot of surprises. And I've tried not to, it's not a political polemic. This is a story. It's a, it's a family story. I put it in historical context so you can understand what's happening and why it's happening, but I try not to um, make it into um, a political lecture. It's supposed to be, and I, you know, the reviews have suggested that it is, uh, you know, pacey and readable. Then on the uh, on the other side of the family, my father has, so my mother's, if you, if you like, has got a kind of very unusual version of a story maybe familiar to your listeners, which is um, she was in a concentration camp and involved in the Holocaust. My father was involved in a, a much more bog-standard version of a, an atrocity that most people are not aware of, which was the attempt by Stalin to wipe out the whole of the Dutch, of the Polish um, middle class and elite. And he tries to do this by invading Poland when the Germans invade the other half of uh, mm. Russia, 
Poland. They've got a pact. The Russians invade, take control of Lviv, or Lvov as it was when my father was born there, but you all know it as Lviv. And uh, my grandfather was arrested and he's sent to the Gulag. When my grandfather goes to the Gulag, he imagines that um, my, my grandmother imagines she's going to be told where he is, instead of which they arrest the rest of the family and send them to Siberia. So uh, the book uh, follows them there and follows them out. Yeah, and it's very, very, uh, you put it very well. I mean, it is, it is, it is definitely a, a story. There's no kind of, as you say, that um, you definitely succeed in, in it being a story of your family rather than anything else. Um, and but I think because knowing the history and then when you, when you humanise something and you put flesh and blood on it and it's a real, and you, it's a human story, suddenly it takes on a whole different kind of depth. Um, one, of the, one of the parts of the bit which really made me kind of stop and pause is when you just, and it's, this is really powerful in the audiobook, especially when you're just, when you're listing the, the numbers, the people, a list of people uh, and their name and their number. So who one of the to them, um, yeah, right, right. In one of the chapters, which is called Joy and Glee, um, I, I I wrote, and this was based on a document I stumbled across in my aunt's papers. My mother's older sister, my mother's older paper, sister, had kept records of a kind of children's club. A kind of sweet little thing that they formed, you know. They're, they're these are kids that are twelve to nine years old. Some of them seven years old even. And they they have you know little competitions with the kids on the street. They organise little outings, um, and they have a, a newsletter where people write poems and things like that. And she kept um, some examples of the newsletter and a total and a whole uh, list of members. And so what I thought I would do is go through each of these members and see whether I could trace what happened to them. And I met, I succeeded with all but one person, I think, in working out, it was 20 of them, in, all, in working out what happened to them. Um, and each of them um, ends up in some form, except for the one person that wasn't Jewish, but the, all the Jewish people in it end up with in, in uh, some form of captivity, and most of them either are killed or come to close to being killed. And... I tell that story, um, but at the end, I said, you know, despite the fact that there a lot of these children in this club died, the average number that survived in that group was much higher than in the street they lived in. And I, I got hold of the records for Jan van Ekstral, the street where my mother was, uh, my mother lived, and I just went through house by house. Um, and it turned out that in almost every house, I mean, it would be quicker to define the houses where this did not happen, somebody was killed in the gas chambers or starved to death. Mm, yeah, and it's... Yeah, and hearing you read out the names uh, and what happened to them, I, I, you know, I had to kind of... I had to pause it at that point just to kind of take it in because, it, again, like even if you know the history of the Second World War and you know the history of the Holocaust, it's still, when you put names to it, when you put faces to it when you put flesh and blood on it it um it adds a different dimension to it um and certainly it kind yeah. of brings it, it brings it home the kind of gravity of well, what happens so it's interesting you felt that jess because one of the things that i so one of the things that i had to balance in this book um 
I, I want to make sure that people are not put off from reading it by the fact that they feel that everything, everybody in it and everything in it are doomed. And, you know, the truth is my parents had a very happy life and they brought up three children who also are having a happy life. This book has a happy ending and actually has a happy, and a happy beginning too. Um, but I also had to make sure that you're not underplaying, you know, the sheer horror of the things that happen to the people in it. So I did have to tell that story too. And I try, hope I get the right balance. You, you need to do both. Yes, absolutely, uh, and that, that's really important because there is a happy ending to the story, and that is, and that's, and that's very hopeful, and that's very positive. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> it's worth reading to the end, that's for sure. So, um, yes, I mean that, that's really important to remember because it is a story about hope as well. That, I mean, like reading about your, you know, your parents and your grandparents as well. They're, they're remarkable people. Um, they really are. I mean, um, I was like Alfred, especially was with what you talk about him, him kind of raising the possibility of what could have happened so early on when nobody was really listening um, and continuing to kind of advocate for that for so many years and then kind of, you know, it not really getting through and then ultimately it happens. Um, Which is corner, isn't it? And that, yeah. I think that, uh, I think that, you know, uh, in addition to the kind of the stories of what happened to the in the concentration camp, what you know, my grandfather's life is pretty extraordinary. Yes, it, yes, it is. I mean, he did he did some incredible things, really. Um, yeah, um, it's an amazing heritage to to come from um, as well. I mean, yeah. I mean, as it, I mean, I, I mean, as someone who's written books as well, like, I know that when you write a book, it's of often has an impact on on you. Um, I mean, how did writing this story, writing this book about your family and everything they went through, and, and having to kind of delve into that a lot more deeply, how did that impact you? Well, actually, um, on you know, some people have asked me this question. I think assuming that it would have been quite traumatic, and there were moments like that. You know, what happens to my great aunt and my great uncle and my mother's first cousin? That was when I understood it properly, that was quite disturbing. Um, learning what had happened to my um, to my father's aunts and uncles, that was also quite disturbing. However, um, some of it was really pleasant. I got connected to people in the family, some of whom, you know, I was only just about aware that they existed. And, you know, I, I had to go through 90 letters written by my grandmother's siblings and I'd not really; these were not figures that I was that aware of, and that was that was wonderful. I sort of felt as though I gained all these new relatives, and I um, got to, you know, I knew um, my grandmother Lucia, uh, my father's mother, uh, but the other grandparents I didn't. So, uh, and Alfred is a renowned character, you know, the one that set up the archive, and so I'd read quite a lot about him but I feel I felt I got to know the other grandparents in a way that I hadn't before that yeah. was nice yeah that's 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 wonderful um yeah I mean that's 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 one of the benefits I guess isn't it of you know when you when you write things about your family you like I mean I've I've written memoirs and things before um and you know when you talk to and I've talked to my parents about their background and you know got to know my family a bit and it it's yeah, it can be a really 
good thing. And obviously they're inspirational people as well. Um, you know, so yeah, so we do, they do, you know, that that's true. Um, so, you know, I, and I, and I was saying this to my sister yesterday that I, you know, so part of the story that at the core of the story are two very strong women, my grandmothers. And um, my grandmother, Lusha, I did know, um, knew her as granny. Um, and she, uh, and, uh, you know, I always knew that she kind of had a toughness about her. I remember that, um, you know, we'd be in her house and somebody would phone up uh, and she would talk. And if she felt they were being boring, she'd put the phone down on the bed and carry on uh, to make herself a cup of coffee, not ignoring completely who was on the phone. She, you know, I knew there was a sort of element of her that was kind of quite... Uh, n- didn't care what people thought about her and I kind of understood that a lot better when I when I read this story so I've always taken an inspiration but the courage of Greta uh, my mother's mother seeing them through the concentration camps um, you know and that was that was uh, pretty pretty striking there's an amazing letter in the book uh, that she writes to my aunt on her 17th birthday um, on a 16th birthday I'm sorry Um, very moving to read that Yes, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And I, I've seen as well the, um, you've posted on your Twitter account as well, a video of you holding the star that they uh, they had to wear on their clothing. Um, and I think, didn't you have, didn't they have to pay for it in the first place? And then they had to wear it and of yeah. course it was, a, it yeah. was added to kind of the prejudice that they experienced. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so so um so yeah, they left behind, um, you know, in, in in the room I'm sitting there. There are still some of those things, lots of artifacts, um, which include the the passport. I, I can, uh, you know, I can see that from where I'm sitting now. The passport they used, the yellow star that they um, had in in the days before the camps, um, quite a striking thing to to have. Yeah, and um, and uh, to be connected with your history in that way is is a privilege. Absolutely, yes, it is. Um, I, I mean, I mean, like, how did? Pause. Want to just pause for one second? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. Just a little pause there, everyone listeners. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, like the whole kind of how did it impact your par- um your parents to have to uh, sorry your grandparents to have to guide obviously you know, to have to help your your parents respectively to to survive and somehow you know not be too affected by what was going on around them because obviously your parents were children weren't they Uh, yeah I mean look I I think they were strong people and I think they were you know I I think you know which I did get it they were very they were highly intellectual people um which in my and and uh you know my grandmother was kind of quite a grand society figure uh and they they all had their peculiarities but fortunately in their uh they were kind of at their core quite resilient people i think and um they were determined both my grandparents to see their children through what had happened to what was happening to them they were both separated in their imprisonment from their husbands um so they had the 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 sole care of it um the children you know and for years my grandmother had nobody else who could look after my father at all whereas um you know and and um that was whereas at least um my my grandmother had a 16 year old daughter so that was a little bit of assistance hmm yeah 
and of course, to you know, to be actually experiencing that yourself, um, yourself, and then having to protect your children, um, and somehow not give the impression to them that you're, you know, scared or affected by it, and to try and normalise life for them as much as possible is it? And that's a that's a big weight to carry. It is, yes. So you know, and and you're picking up on an important point. So one of the things I try to emphasise, we all know that one of the things that happens. Um, it, you know, to to uh, to the refugees in the Second World War is the killing and the starvation, and uh, but yeah. I try to also bring out the fact that they were also inconvenienced by a lot of much more banal difficulties. My grandmother or my my mother's mother has no money. My grandfather has all the money, and he's in London. She can't get any of it. Um, she finds it extremely difficult to scrape together any income to live on. Um, the uh, they, they've lost their citizenship, and that, which later turns into a calamity, is at first you know quite a big nuisance. Um, my grandfather at that point could come to Holland, but he hasn't got the documentation, and my grandmother's worried that he has got cotton socks and that he wouldn't be able to. You know, she feels responsible for the fact that he, she can't get his clothes to him and lots of these things have got to do with their quite banal problems she runs out of money my my um my grandfather on the other side they do the same thing so one of the things about the refugee life uh, that it reveals um and one of the things about the oppressive regimes that it reveals is that they do much more than simply kill people they also make life really really difficult in lots and lots of very small ways you know during the period in which the the jews um were in holland rather than in amsterdam rather than taken to westerbork camp uh, my my um aunt and my mum can't play tennis they can't go to the park they cannot go to the cinema uh, they can't go swimming uh, almost every they can't go on their bikes because bikes were confiscated almost every uh, thing that, that that a child or even an adult might want to do for recreation they're not able uh to to do and and those i try to bring out that kind of um the the impact of those kind of rather more banal uh difficulties yeah and definitely that comes across um that you know especially like towards the beginning before kind of the concentration camps it was a lot of those little things that just got taken away you know there's little freedoms and little restrictions and awkward things that like they couldn't do that everyone else could do that you know that's how i mean that's how those things begin isn't it it's always absolutely with those little things to start with and then it kind of you know becomes obviously more serious over time um, completely and that's that's vital i mean that that, that that seems to be an interesting thing to bring out so what i'm trying to do here is to tell the story of these big ideological forces through the granular life of my parents one of the things that i had which lots of people whose parents or grandparents were involved in the holocaust or in the gulag is that they didn't have much in the way of documentation or or witness statements and i had a, a lot and that's why I was able to write the book that I've written. It's got a lot of detail in it. You know, my mum kept the coupon uh, for the dining car of the cruise ship that took them from the concentration camp to the United States. Um, my grandmother on my father's side kept 90 letters that were sent to them in Siberia um, and something like 60,000 words of correspondence uh, between Finkelsteins and Diamondsteins in the war period. So um, you can imagine how useful that is to somebody trying to to get into the granularity of what happens to them. Yes, because 
that's when you really see the the genuine human impact of these big decisions um, and these two oppressive regimes. Um, and you know, there's no doubt that they you know, both both the Nazi regime and and Stalin's regime were, you know, very dictatorial and oppressive. Um, and you know, <laughs> Stalin kind of was officially on the side of the Allies, but he wasn't. Uh, he was by no means um, virtuous, um, and nor was his regime. Uh, it's, uh, and then you talk about Poland as well. That's the, the other thing. I've always, I've done a lot, I've done a lot of history, um, and the Polish tragedy, you know, of kind of being stuck between you know Nazi Germany and um, obviously Stalin's Russia, and how that how that impacted that that nation for such a long time afterwards as well, like after the war. So one of the things I tried to do in the book is to put everything in the historical context so that people who are reading the book can understand for themselves terms that they may have heard. And so the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, which possibly people have come across but may not know very much about, uh, that is covered never in never in a lot of theoretical detail, but the implications for individuals is covered, and you always understand where it comes from. Mm. I read a lot of Holocaust accounts where uh, people separate their own experience um, from the historical context, and I wanted to put both in the book. Yeah, I think that's important because you because it it paints a much bigger picture because you it, one, understanding one helps you understand the other because it's when you separate, I think when you separate, I'm not saying that it's wrong to separate them for some people, some authors to do that. But I think for me, like reading, reading the story in the book with the historical kind of context around it made it much more authentic um, and much more human, I guess, um, because it, you're seeing the real life consequences of political decisions um, and um, the kind of day to day stuff, like you're talking about the mundane stuff that you talked about, the kind of the kind of the small things, you know, and you know, obviously it led to those that those led to the big things like being taken to concentration camps. But but just those little all those consequences of, of these of these big decisions that were going on around them, it's just that we're trying to and then you have then you have these two families trying to just trying to survive. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, absolutely. So that is so that's the core of it, and um, I hope it's also, you know, but uh, but it's very important to, you know, I do have a sort of purpose of it. Uh, the purpose of writing this book is to tell the story of people who end up very happily married to each other, living in a suburb of London, um, and um, you know, my parents do miss uh, their teenage years completely. My father, when I used to ask my father James who he supported in football, he used to say he supported a team called Pipidufka United. And turns out to be completely fake uh, team, and I, I took it seriously. Um, and uh, he wasn't interested in any of those things. And maybe he wouldn't have been anyway, because you know he was him and my uh, maternal grandfather was sort of all their heads were always in kind of quite arcane books. Um, but it is quite striking that um, you know they have this happy life. It's rather different from mine, but it still um, comes into. Uh, comes into contact with uh, lots of things later in their life, like football, which, you know, earlier in their life, ne- they never had. Yeah, and I think when you've been through some major trauma of any kind, I think if you if you survive that and you come out of that and you are able to build a life, 
I guess there's a there's more of a sense of gratitude for the life you have because of what you've been through. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's, you know, that is, that's what we are trying to, uh, that's what I try to, that's what I try uh, to convey. Um, And I think, you know, I think you will, people will read it and they'll come out knowing much more about terms that they've heard. You know, even for myself, James, I found that uh, even though my mother had been in Belson, I didn't really understand why, uh, what that was. She said to me, it was a sort of different camp and they, you know, they had the chance to go there. I didn't really understand what it, what they, what she meant by that, um, and I understood it much better now. And I understood that in some, in some ways, in in uh, Holocaust terms, being able to go to Belsen rather than to Auschwitz or Sobibor was actually, you know, was actually a result, um, which is extraordinary considering how appalling the life was when you actually got there. Um, so, you know, they set off on this train um, with all sorts of reassurances about the place they're going to, and it turns out to be appalling. Yeah, I think that that's how it was kind of, it was kind of dressed up at the time, wasn't it? You, you talk about this in the book, how the language that the, 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 the Germans used for, you know, sending Jews to concentration camps so that they could absolve themselves of responsibility, in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly what it is. So, so that so um, the other thing I was trying to bring out is that we all know the crimes of the Nazis because it comes out at the end of the war. The Nazis lose the war; their all of their main um, figures are convicted at the Nuremberg trials. And the first document in this sitting in this office where I am now that I pulled out the first file I opened was quite a striking thing. My grandfather had the a personal copy of the indictment of the Nuremberg defendants and um, the, an original copy of that. And uh, I, I, went, I was completely struck by it, obviously, as you would be, and I went through this document uh, and I realised that everything that the uh, Nazi criminals were accused of doing was something the Soviets had done too. Remember that the Eichmann trial, which comes later in uh, after the war, um, that was m- focused mainly on the gas chambers and the the holocaust uh and some of those things that the russians did not do but the things that the the defendants were tried for at nuremberg yeah they did those things 100 percent absolutely and one of the points of the book is to point out they never learned the lesson from that uh and that's one of the reasons we're in the situation we are now absolutely yeah i mean yes i i I couldn't help when i was reading it but think of you know, today and the world, how the world is, and you know, um, some of the you know the rise of the hard right in different parts of the world, and you know that we kind of seem to never learn lessons from history. Um, I guess I'm quite standard in sort of middle class circles in my fear of the far right. What I guess marks me out and has occasionally been a bit uncomfortable is I have a a similar. It's not quite the same, but a similar fear about the hard left um which is considered a bit eccentric but if you read the book you'll see why i have that fear as well as the fear of the nazis mm. yeah i mean yes yes you kind of well yeah i mean when we look when you look at kind of the anti-semitism issue that came up in the labor party in the last few years under you know the under the leadership of jeremy corbyn um that's a valid that's definitely a valid concern you know, I mean, it's Absolutely. very important that. just to say um, that, that, that uh, 
you know, I always joke that Jeremy Corbyn was not a Stalinist because him and him and the Stalinists were at different ends of the eye, the ice pick. But um, but that having been said, it explains why I have a problem with revolutionary movements. But the key, you know, the key thing I want to emphasize about the book is you don't need to start with any particular political position. My political position will not be that of every reader, I'm sure. Um, this is just a story of what happened. People can draw their own political conclusions from that. They're welcome to diff- They're welcome to find those differ sharply from mine. I've always been one of those people who doesn't want to, who, who understands my way of looking at issues isn't every, the same way as everyone will look at them or ought to look at them. Um, I just hope you will come away absorbed and moved and uh, knowing more. So thank you very much for giving me the chance to talk about it. Well, yeah, I mean, I didn't get any kind of political bias from the book at all. I, I didn't didn't read that at all in the book. I mean, it is, as you say, a story that's set in a historical context. And then, like all stories, um, true stories especially, when you encounter them, they they do something to you. And obviously they have a different impact on different people. Absolutely. Um, and all those all those are valid because it's it's such a powerful story and it's such a emotive story and it's a story that's sadly relevant for our times as well, but it's, um, but it's something that need. it's a story that needs to be told and need, people need to, people need to read. I would encourage everyone to read this book because, uh, um, we, we need to be reminded that these things happened because sometimes it can be, it can be easy to forget. Well, thank you very much. So thank you very much indeed for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, I hope that, uh, um you found it interesting i certainly really enjoyed being on it and i hope that people will uh will feel they want to read with hitler style and mum and dad and uh learn some more about this story but if they don't um then i hope that uh, your and my discussion will give them some idea of what happened yeah absolutely and um i would recommend it to everyone it's it's it is a very powerful book and it needs to be it needs to be read i think um and so thank you for for coming on it's been great to have you well, and everyone i'll recommend that book and just just it's available now so uh thanks for listening everybody <laughs>